Good morning. My name is Ben. I'm the music and ministry coordinator here at Christ Church. And um, it's my privilege to be able to share God's word with you this morning. Um, I'll invite you to take your worship guide, and you can turn to the back middle portion of your worship guide, uh, where you'll find our sermon scripture reading. Or if you've brought your Bible, you can turn to Psalm 121. Throughout the summer, uh, we've been looking more closely at this book of Psalms. And in fact, this morning marks our last week in the Psalms uh, until the Lord willing next summer. Um, but why spend our, our summers looking at the Psalms? Well, uh, the book of Psalms is known as the songbook for God's people. Um, it's the melody of the maturing Christian life. Um, in them, God himself teaches his people how they're to faithfully walk with him amid all of life's highest highs and darkest lows. Theologians and leaders of the church have believed that the Psalms should be used and reused in every Christian's private life and in public worship. We're not supposed to simply read them or to be so immersed in them that they profoundly shape how we relate to God. Luther, he called the Psalms a little Bible, a summary of the salvation story. Um, Athanasius is what he wrote, whatever your need or trouble, from the Psalms you can select a form of word to fit it so that you can learn the way to remedy your ill. Uh, Tim Keller, he adds that the Psalms are a medicine chest for the heart and the best possible guide for practical living. The, the Psalms help us see God, God not as we wish him to be or hope him to be, but as he reveals himself to us, uh, more holy, more wise, more fearsome, more tender, more loving than we could ever imagine him to be. Most of all, the Psalms read in light of all of scripture bring us to Jesus. Uh, not only does Jesus actually quote the Psalms more than any other book, uh, the Psalms point us to him because they're ultimately about him. So with that in mind, uh, let's turn to God in prayer as we prepare to read Psalm 121, um, and then Henry will read for us our psalm. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that through it you continue to speak to us even today. Uh, would you help us hear it, understand it, believe it, and obey it? We ask for your spirit to do this work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please join me in listening to God's word. Psalm 121, my help comes from the Lord. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's no secret that uh, all great road trips have a, a good soundtrack. Um, hitting the open road and, and music, they, they go together, um, like peanut butter and jam or lemon and lime or, or maybe like strawberries and ice cream, Wh whatever combination uh, you really like. 
Um, for some of you here this morning, uh, just listening to a song or, or an album or a specific artist can take you right back to a specific road trip, the sights and, and the smells and all the sounds. This uh, music and road trip phenomenon, though, it's not really anything new. In fact, it's really old. It's a practice that predates cars, uh, paved roads, and even radios. It's a practice that goes all the way back to Psalm 121. See, Psalm 121, it's a psalm of ascent. Uh, the psalms of ascent, they're a collection of songs, uh, uh, Psalm 120 to 134, that God's people sang as they made their way up to Jerusalem, as they road trip to Jerusalem. Uh, this trip, uh, of course, was much harder than your typical road trip today. Uh, no car, no paved roads. Uh, in fact, most Israelites had to travel uh, hundreds of miles just to get there. Not only that, that they had to pass through valleys and, and dry places alongside cliffs and, and caves. They, they walked through, through wilderness areas with predators and bandits. The days were hot, uh, the nights were long, and trouble often abounded. And many of these travelers, they came by way of the Jordan River Valley, which then meant at the end of their trip, they literally had thousands of feet to climb in order to get to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the highest city topographically in the area, so the people had to literally ascend to get there. Now, Psalm 121, it was a fitting song for these people to sing on their journey because it reminded them that amidst all the trouble around them and the trouble that they might encounter, they do not walk alone. As they, transvert, as they traverse sorry, this difficult terrain, climb many hills and steps, they were reminded of God's protection, not only for the journey that they currently found themselves on, but they were also reminded for this protection for all of life. See, th these promises that we read in Psalm 121, they weren't only for their journey to Jerusalem, as pertinent to their situation as they might have been at that time, but these promises were symbolic and are symbolic for all of life. Similarly to the Israelites' road to Jerusalem, a life is filled with dry places and valleys. It's filled with trouble. And so Psalm 121 had something to say, not only for their journey to Jerusalem, but for their whole lives. For us, as fellow pilgrims on the journey of life, this means that Psalm 121 has something to say to us today, as we ourselves navigate the hills and the valleys of our own lives. Now, uh, Psalm 121 is not promising a trouble-free, problem-free life. Um, at, at first glance, as we read it quickly for the first time, it might seem that way. But the very fact that this psalm was sung by the Israelites on a very difficult journey confirms that's not actually what the Israelites thought of the psalm. Right? They had no reason to think that life would be easy. Uh, and they knew that Psalm 121 didn't actually promise that. And of course, this is what we see throughout all of Scripture Regardless of who you are here today, Christian or not, trouble comes. Right? Trouble, persecution, hardship in this life are certain. And so what then exactly is Psalm 121 saying? What is it promising to us here today? Well, to find out uh, the answer to these questions, uh, we're going to look at Psalm 121 in two parts. And so the first part is our need, and then the second part is God's promise. So that's our need and then God's promise. And we'll start with our need. Um, as I already mentioned, uh, this journey for the Israelites was very difficult. Uh, cliffs, valleys, rivers, dry places, predators, bandits, you name it. Uh, the heat of day, the cold of night, all sorts of trouble all around them as they journeyed. Um, 
And these Israelites were no strangers to trouble. It wasn't just on this journey, but God's people in their short history had already endured much physical suffering, both individually and collectively. They had been enslaved and imprisoned. They knew war and death. Enemies lived all around them. And they were on the brink of actually getting exiled from their own land. The Israelites, they knew that life was difficult, that trouble was certain. While today we have maybe more avenues to to numb and mask the trouble that we encounter, trouble is no less present. Don't believe me or are uncertain? Just start talking to the people around you. There are those among us in our church, in our families, our friends, our neighborhoods, our colleagues, who are in the desert, a dry place, lost, lonely, overwhelmed by the seemingly endless, harsh journey ahead. There are those in the middle of depression, indifference, darkness, and numbness. There are those among us uh, who are also in the valley, struggling with grief and despair, uh, sickness, death, job loss, infertility, broken relationships, debt, the pressures of your job or your family. Right? Maybe for you or for someone you know, uh, life just seems right now terribly overwhelming. Life is tough. Uh, it's no secret. But how do we handle the difficulty that life brings? Whether you're here today, again, as a Christian or not, we have to figure out how to answer this question um, because trouble is certain. Now, if you Google that question, how do we handle the difficulty that life brings, which I did for you all, uh, this is some of the advice that you'll find. Uh, Think positively. Believe in yourself. Um, Create a clear plan with goals. Um, Eliminate overthinking. Take time for self-care. Feel your feelings. Uh, I'm not quite sure what that one means, but but feel your feelings. Uh, Don't give up. Practice gratitude. Consider the problem an opportunity. First, I think that these suggestions that that we so commonly hear actually make light of the seriousness of the problems we face. Um, If you were were staring death in the face or or another serious problem, I, I think if you were advised to think positively, That might actually feel like a bit of a slap in the face, if we're honest. But second, almost all of these solutions tell you to turn inward, right? Life is tough, but what's the response? So are you. Dig deep. Find it within yourself to press on. You are tough. These are messages we see repeatedly from all sorts of different media around us. And unfortunately, to go back to my opening point, uh, there are some pretty famous road trip tunes which also share this message. Maybe you've listened to I Won't Back Down by by Tom Petty, but this is what it says. I'll keep this world from dragging me down. Gonna stand my ground, and I won't back down. There ain't no easy way out, but I won't back down. What's, What's the message of that song? Life is tough, but so am I. Or uh, there's another song, I believe it's arguably probably one of the world's most annoying road trip songs, but I'll quote it anyway. It's a song by a group called Chumbawamba. And uh, you might know it. It says, I get knocked down, but I get up again. You're never going to keep me down. And then the song literally repeats that probably a hundred of times. And then thankfully, it's over. (laughs) But what's the message of that song? Right? Life is tough. I get knocked down. But what do I do? I get back up again. Because you know what? I am tough as well. But Psalm 121 has a completely different answer for the problems that we face. This is what verses 1 and 2 say. I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? 
My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. See, how can we face the difficulties that we're sure to encounter in our life? What do we need to do this? We need help. And not just help from anyone, we need the Lord's help. We cannot overcome the problems that each of us are sure to face on our own strength by looking inward, by toughing it out. We need the help of the Lord. As the psalmist embarks on his journey ahead, he lifts his eyes to the hills. And as he contemplates what lies before him, he knows he needs help. And in contemplating where his help will come from, he reminds his own heart that his help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. In other words, he knows that the hills, the trouble before him, is nothing compared to the help of the Lord, the one who made the hills. See, whatever problems we face, they are nothing compared with the help of the Lord, the one who made the heavens and the earth. So trouble is certain. Uh, in regards of who you are here today, and this might be difficult to hear, we all need help. But thankfully, God promises his help to his people, which is what our second point is all about. And that's God's promise, God's promise. Um, and from this point, the psalm actually changes. Um, in verses 3 to 8, uh, the psalm shifts from the first person to the second person. Um, and, and some suggest it was most likely the, the result of some sort of call and response. Uh, so a leader uh, would say or sing or recite verses 1 and 2, and then the people would respond with verses 3 and 8. Sorry, verses 3 to 8. But what's clear from this shift is that the psalm is deeply personal. The words you and your are used in verses 3 to 8 ten times. And this is not that the Texas plural y'all, you. This is the personal singular, you. If you are a Christian here today, the Lord God himself is your help. He is your keeper. See, life is tough. But the Lord is your keeper. He is your help. What we find then in verses 3 to 8 is what uh, Derek Kidner calls an ever-expanding circle of promise. Verse 3, it tells us that he will not let your foot be moved. In other words, the Lord will guide all of your steps. Nothing that you do is outside of his plan. Um, the Lord ha has numbered your days. He knows what each one of them holds. And each of your days are under his care. Suffering might come. In fact, it will come. But we are reminded elsewhere in Scripture that for those who love God, all things work together according, uh, sorry, all things work together for your good. This doesn't make bad things magically good. No, they are actually bad. They are hard. But it does mean that God can and will use the difficulties in our lives for our good. Writing on this psalm, uh, Tim Keller he says that an ounce of sin can harm us more than a ton of suffering. Sin, it can harden our hearts so that we lose everything, but suffering, if handled rightly, can make us wiser, happier, and deeper. See, the Lord will not let your foot be moved. He will guide your steps. You are under his constant watchful care. Nothing happens to you outside of his plan. Um, you do not walk alone. How can this be? Well, because the one who keeps you does not slumber nor sleep. Um, David, in Psalm 3, verse 5, he says, I lay down and I slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. And, and one commentator, when speaking on this, said, The kings of the earth would be foolish to allow their servants to sleep, while the king 
stood guard over their beds. But our king, the Lord himself, takes on the role of servant time and time again, watching over us while we rest. See, nothing happens, not a hair falling or a foot slipping, without it being exactly the way that God intended. God does not sleep. His care and protection is continual. Moving then to verse 5, it tells us that the Lord is our keeper and the Lord is your shade on your right hand. Uh, To keep is to guard, to to watch over, to protect. And protection from the sun would have been incredibly important for those making this journey. Um, Relief from the hot sun in the desert is, is like life. Right? The shade can restore and renew and protect you from the harsh elements of life. But what does this mean for us today? Again, Tim Keller is helpful here in suggesting that the shade represents spiritual refreshment, which comes through God's presence. Right? You do not walk alone. As the pressures of life uh, beat down on us like the sun and drain us of all energy, the Lord offers us shade a remedy to the rat race of life, peace amidst trials and tribulations, an antidote to the chaos around us. He offers us cool shade, a refreshing breeze for our heart, a cool drink in the desert. He restores and renews us as we journey through life. And this is, this is familiar because it's, it's very similar to the, the promise in Psalm 23. Right, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. See, there is a peace and refreshment that comes when you are in the Lord. When we admit that we need help, that we cannot do life on our own. Because God promises that he will walk with you. He is the shade that we need. And he offers the spiritual refreshment and nourishment and protection from evil for those on the journey. And then once again, in verse 6, we see the continuity of this promise as well. That the Lord will keep you both day and night, so that the sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Again, God's care is not intermittent. Uh, It's not spotty like cell phone service. It's continual, around-the-clock care and protection. So the Lord promises uh, to guide our steps. Um, Nothing happens outside of his plan And he promises us spiritual refreshment through his presence. Uh, We do not walk this journey alone. We can have peace amidst trouble, a shade uh, amidst the overwhelming pressures of life. But in this ever-expanding circle of promise, there is more. Because in verses 7 and 8, we're we're told that the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Again, this promise here doesn't mean that trouble will not come. Um, there is evil in this world around us, and it, and it will and it does affect us. But it does mean that when it does come, the Lord is with us. You do not walk alone. The Lord will protect you from and arm you against all evil. Uh, there's a, a preservation wrapped up in this promise, uh, a promise that God will never let you go. He will not turn you over to the evil around you. In some sense, Psalm 121 in these verses is saying something very similar to Romans 8 in the New Testament. This is what it says, What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come 
nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus, as Paul tells us in Philippians. See, if you're a Christian here today, you are under God's care and protection, and now nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You do not walk this journey alone. The Lord will keep you. You are under his constant, continual care. This promise at the end of our psalm, it's quite staggering, if we're honest, because it shows us God's help, his care and protection is not only continual, but it's actually perpetual. Again, this is what Derek Kidner writes. He said, this psalm ends with a pledge which could hardly be stronger or more sweeping. And it would be hard to decide which half of this pledge is more encouraging. The fact that God's help and his keeping of your life starts now from this time, or that it runs not to the end of time, but without end, like God himself, who is my portion forever from this time forth and forevermore. So you do not walk alone. God's keeping and his help are personal, they're persistent, and it is perpetual. Now, I admit, if you're in the midst of suffering today, uh, it can be easy to doubt some of these promises. Um, As I mentioned in the introduction to our new hymn, uh, we have a tendency to think there's a darkness in God as we look at the trouble in the world and in our own lives. We ask the questions, how can God be working through this terrible situation? Why should I think he cares when he feels so far away? What assurance do I actually have that these promises are true, that God cares and helps me well thankfully unlike the israelites uh, we can now see more of god's plan see we can be assured that amidst trouble difficulty and uncertainty that we are under god's care because in christ we see this care and help on full display the father offering up his son jesus christ our lord as our help right the one who takes our evil upon himself so that we can have life, the one who lays down his life for ours. See, in Christ's death, we see a terrible thing used for ultimate good, and this ought to give us confidence that the trouble that we face, that we encounter, can also be used for good. But even more than that, in Christ, we see the help that we need for our biggest problems, the sins that we have committed that deserve punishment, and the separation we experience from God because of them. See, Christ, in taking our evil upon himself, reconciles us back to God and takes our punishment on himself. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, the ultimate act of care and protection and help. His care and protection on display most clearly as he gives his life for ours on the cross. See, God's people no longer need to fear death. For he has conquered death and granted eternal life to those who believe and trust in him. Megan Taylor, uh, she writes this, When we can truly grasp that nothing in heaven or on earth can take away the life that we have in Christ, we can release our grip from our own obsession with self-preservation and trust them to our creator. This is how goodness and mercy can follow us even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Right? This is why those who lose their life will find it. This is what it means that though put to death, not a hair 
will perish on your head. This is the reason, like Job, we can lift our eyes in worship and declare with Paul that to die is to gain and to sing along with the reformer Martin Luther. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. This is no false assurance. This is our eternal hope in Jesus Christ. Where do you find your help? The world is full of trouble. It is certain to come. You can try to face it alone, or you can lift your eyes to the hills, to the heavens, where God himself sits and promises his help and protection and care for any who will come to him. His help is personal, it's persistent, and it's perpetual. He is promising a journey where you'll never, ever walk alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we do not face this journey through life alone. We thank you for the wonderful promises that we find in Psalm 121 about your help and your care for your people. Would you encourage our hearts with this psalm that we might find comfort and peace whatever comes our way? And would you make us into people eager to share this good news with those around us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.